As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. on Total Soccer Show, where we dig into some of the meatiest topics in the beautiful game. Today, we're getting Spursy. In the last decade, the North London Club have made their push towards the top table of European soccer. Under the stewardship of majority owners Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy, the club became a force in the Premier League, and under manager Maurizio Pochettino, they earned their highest league finish in 50 years in 2017, and in 2019, they reached the Champions League final. Off the field, the club also made significant strides with the opening of a state-of-the-art training facility and a stadium that's regarded among the very best in the world. However, despite their efforts, Tottenham remain without a trophy since lifting the League Cup in 2008. After Pochettino, the club have seen limited success under the reigns of Jose Mourinho and Nuno Espirito Santo, and as we record, Antonio Conte appears to be in his final days with the club, following an explosive press conference after his side gave up a 3-1 lead to bottom of the league, Southampton. Today we're digging into what's wrong for Conte at Tottenham at the moment, what the club need to do next, and how they develop into a club, or into the club, that they aspire to be. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have our very own fighting cock, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, my friend. How are you doing, Taylor? Are you good? Are you ready to talk Spurs? I am. I'm excited. Uh, this is one that like, I feel like gets talked around a lot, what, what it is to be Tottenham, what the issues are there, why Antonio Conte is so angry, but I feel like we haven't gone into the heart of the matter, so I look forward to doing so today. We shall do so. Joining us to do so, a man who might not hold Jurgen Klinsmann in quite the same high regard as the average Spurs fan, Joe Lowry. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I guess I don't fully know these days how Tottenham fans feel all the way about Jurgen Klinsmann, but I think it's a safe bet regardless of what that answer is to think (laughs) that I'm at least a little bit under them. Yeah, I think they still love him. He uh, did some good things in the 90s after all, didn't we all? Also joining us, Graham (laughs) Ruffin. Graham, did you know... That when Spurs won their first FA Cup in 1901, seven of the 13 players they used in that run 
were Scots. Mm. Wow. I mean, I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me given that around that time we actually used to be quite good. I don't know what happened, Ryan. I don't know what happened. Ryan, what I thought you were going to go with was seven of them are still playing for Tottenham to this day. They haven't been moved on yet. Maybe one day they'll be transferred, but for now they're still starting at center back. (laughs) Have you ever thought, Graham, that what happened was they all started going to Spurs and then things took a turn. <laughs> yeah, it, it was Spurs' fault. Yeah, those Scots in 1901 <laughs> playing alongside Eric Dyer, that wasn't really the uh, the right environment for them. <laughs> Sorry, Spurs fan, we mean no specific disrespect in this podcast. We're merely exploring the nature of Spurs and Spursiness. I suppose we should, we should talk about Spursiness in a second, but Taylor, something mm. we've mentioned, I think we mentioned this earlier this week, is that certainly anecdotally for me, and I think you said the same thing, Tottenham seem to be one of the most well-supported clubs in the United yeah. States. Like I, most of my friendship group from Charlotte, I'd say if you if you had to tally up all the teams they support, Tottenham would have the highest tally. Um, and I'm trying to figure out why that is. And what I, where I landed was it's a kind of club, say as a US soccer fan, that you pick when you don't want to be a glory hunter and you don't yep. want to go for the team that always wins everything. But you want a team who are competitive, who are always going to stay up, who've got money. They're in London. They're in a well, not a nice part of London, but they're in London. But they're always in the heart of the action. <laughs> so we've got Lond- other bits of London now. Nobody's ever- safe, not just the rest of the UK. <laughs> Graham, you ever been to White Hart Lane? It's uh, it's not a fun walk to the stadium. Anyway, uh, t- yeah. <laughs> Taylor, but do, do you do you do you understand my my rationale I, there for why I absolutely why do. I absolutely do. Because I think growing up as a Manchester United fan, you were immediately hit with like, oh, of course, like you're a Fairweather fan. You only like them because they're big and successful. Uh, that has come home to roost more recently. And I think Liverpool, there were some people that I think that was the same charge for earlier. And then I think when I was like coming up, I think Liverpool, not as good and not as enticing. And, and so I think I still have plenty of friends who like Liverpool, but I think Spurs were sort of the team that you pick if you don't want to pick one of the big clubs. If you want to go for somebody, you won't be accused of being a glory hunter. And the great example of that, to my mind, is when Bill Simmons decided to get into soccer, like way back in 2006. He did a sort of like, send me all your reasons for who I should support, and I'm going to eliminate teams one by one. I believe he landed on Spurs as being sort of, you're not supporting the Yankees, you're not supporting one of the biggest teams, but you're supporting a team that seem like they're on a path, they're in London, uh, they may end up having that success and and it's funny because i think those fans those people that i know that chose spurs long ago are now sort of similar to spurs who spurs fans who grew up spurs fans of just like oh this doesn't seem like it's working at all this is really frustrating and so with all that said my mind in my mind for this episode it's less i just want tottenham fans to know this isn't us like taking shots at the team for 45 minutes or an hour there will probably be some shots taken but for me it really is about why is this team who i think of as being in the top six, one of the biggest teams in the Premier League and therefore one of the biggest teams in the world, maybe not really at that level or why haven't they achieved that level yet? Right, right. And, and Graham, in that spirit, I've used the term Spursy a couple of times. Yeah. And I, I, we, we mean no specific disrespects, as I say, in this episode. But can you just, to your understanding, what does Spursy mean? So I asked a Tottenham supporting friend what that term means to him. And he messaged back just one single word to me last night. Disappointment is what he sent back. Uh, And I thought that was actually pretty apt because it sort of boils down the whole thing where Tottenham are frequently seen as the next big thing. Whether that's due to Pochettino reaching a Champions League final but not winning it or being in a title race and not winning it or building a new stadium because that will help them compete at the top of the sport 
only to still not really compete at the top of the sport. So it could be a bigger picture sort of thing, or it could be within a match itself, like Chiellini's famous quote on the history of Tottenham after Juve had had come back with uh, two late goals to knock Spurs out of the Champions League. I think that was in 2008. In his his post-match conference, he says, this is the history of, of, of Tottenham Hotspur. And that brings us to Conte. And this season where Tottenham got one of the best managers in the world, they finished last season strongly, and I think I might have predicted they would be closest to City and Liverpool. I got a lot of things wrong, let's not dwell on it. But basically, the point was that Spurs were meant to reach a new level this season. Mm. A lot of people thought that the pieces were in place for them to take that next step. And instead, the whole thing has just collapsed as it as it so often does for them so that I think is generally what is meant by Spursy okay yeah and that's that's a good point I mean Joe I had um I had a I think I mentioned on the show before I had a bet with my father-in-law who supports Man United at the very start of the season I said I bet you x amount that Tottenham will finish above Manchester United this season and then we watched the first few games of the season I was like yep can I you want to cash out now because this is happening uh and very much that bet is not going to pay out for my good self. Um, although Tottenham still in fourth in the Premier League, which for, for a team that doesn't ever seem to win. So weird. I can't understand how that... Well, obviously they do win. And, but uh, for, for a team who are playing that they, like yeah. they are, Joe, this season under Antonio Conte certainly hasn't gone to plan. Well, and I'm really, I'm really struggling with a lot of different aspects of this episode. I'm glad we're doing it because it's forcing me to think and, and I'm, I hope to have my opinions challenged and reworked over the course of the next 45 minutes, whatever it's going to be. Because, like, really, are Tottenham doing bad? Like, are they? Are they doing bad? Newcastle have two games in hand on them. They're, they're two points behind. So that's from fourth to fifth. There is very much the chance that Newcastle, if they get results in those games, will leapfrog. But is fourth place a crime? For Tottenham, I, I I don't think so. You look at there are other problems with this club, a hundred percent, and we'll dive into those. And there's lots of issues here, but in terms of results, like I think I predicted them third in the Premier League coming into this year behind Liverpool and, and City, they're within touching distance of third right now. I guess I'm just struggling with how a lot of the discussions around Tottenham are being framed from a result standpoint. The Conte stuff is wild and ridiculous, and we've talked about it before, and we'll talk about it more. And I absolutely do not think that this club is very well run, but it, it seems to me, guys, that they're right in the, the sweet spot of where you would expect to be as a Tottenham fan. I mean, they finished, I believe they've been in the top six every year that but is one the problem. since 2010. Why? But I guess I don't understand mm-hmm. why that's sure. a problem. You look at Tottenham and their ownership and the difference between them and what they spend— and the elite teams in the league, Tottenham, right now, according to SpotRack, which is it's sort of a, it's a somewhat reliable, I'll be honest. It's a somewhat but not totally reliable source of wage data for, for sports teams. Tottenham are spending the fifth most in the Premier League on wages right now. They're fourth on the table, fifth on wages in soccer, as, as wild as this is to say. Wage spending in major European leagues is still like the strongest correlator we have to success. So they're, they're right in the sweet spot. So you look at transfer expenditures over the last two, three, four, five years. They're right in that like fifth, sixth zone. I, I've, I always struggle to understand. And I guess I just lack the context on this because I'm not from England. I'm not a, particularly a fan of the Premier League or Tottenham or any of these clubs that are regularly in discussions around Tottenham. I, I guess I don't really understand why we're setting the bar higher for this club right now. I don't think we are. I think they are. I think th- like the way they've gone about sort of they're the next big thing. As, as Ryan, was that Ryan who pointed that one out or was that Graham? 
I think that was me that said I that. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, I think that's been the case for a while now. It's it's the new stadium. It's it's all or nothing. It's Daniel Levy talking about how they're going to be the biggest club. Look at the managers they've pursued. It was Poch. Then it's Mourinho. We don't need to talk about Nuno. Then it's uh, Antonio Conte. <laughs> we will talk about Nuno. But like they they are going for managers who have one thing. Yes, yeah, one many exactly. things. And and Joe, to your point, I absolutely agree. If their aspiration is we want to make it into the Champions League, our goal, sure. our ultimate goal, is to be fourth place. But you have a club that seems like that is what they're aspiring to be is eh, we're in the top four. We're good enough. We're not going to be that next level. But at the same time, they talk about being that next level. And that's the expectations I think their fans now have their supporters now have. And so the best example of that for me is that Antonio Conte has come out with this press conference that I think I didn't really get the historical significance of it, of just how vocal he was about what isn't working and he basically kind of came down on this is the history of Tottenham right here and I I had missed the the Trapattoni rant from back when he was Bayern Munich manager in the 90s but that seems to be the closest comparison for a manager just coming in and going scorched earth and knowing that I'm not going to be here next season people don't want me here I don't want to be here this locker room isn't where I want to be so I'm just going to let y'all know how it is and when you have a manager with the pedigree of Antonio Conte publicly saying those things to me that is where there's an immediate oh there is something else going on here there is something bigger than just a team that's maybe uh eyes are bigger than their stomach yeah i think there is there is un unused potential with this club absolutely you think about the the infrastructure that they've started to develop you think about the assets that they have now at the stadium and some of the other things that ryan you mentioned in the intro like there is unused potential there's wasted potential with this team at the same time you know taylor you're talking about Tottenham, basically the reason why folks and, and fans and, and certain media folks think that Tottenham should be a title challenger is because the club says they want to be. Like, that, that's just not how this works, right? You can put lipstick on the pig, but it's still a pig. And, and, and Tottenham, are, Tottenham are a better team than the majority of the teams in, in the Premier League and the majority of the teams in the world. But again, like, you look at what they spend. You can go out and sign Pep Guardiola if you're the Houston Dynamo or Pep Guardiola if you're Tottenham, and your squad's still not going to be as good as man, like I guess it just yeah, still I, it doesn't I make sense with you to me. on that though because I think if you're the Houston Dynamo and you sign Pep Guardiola, that is a statement of intent. We are bringing sure. in a manager to win titles, and we are going to make that happen. But it, but there's Spurs, a disconnect, right? Okay, keep going. Sorry, keep that's going. That, but I think I think we're saying the same thing. I think I just see that disconnect as the problem that you can't bring in these managers and then not fully back them or not know that they're going to be frustrated by certain things while saying we're in the big six, we are this huge club, we're a global brand. It's I, I hear you, and I think it's why the Houston Dynamo don't make those statements, because they know that when you say that, you've got to back it up. And it feels to me like Tottenham, the decision makers, the board, uh, Daniel yeah. Levy, whomever, want to have it both ways. They want to be one of the biggest clubs, but they also don't want to do the things required to get to that level. Exactly. And I think it leads to huge disconnects in expectations in reality. They, ha- they haven't done the work. There's not a coherent, a full enough strategy in place for Spurs to make good on, on their promises. And as you kind of referenced, Taylor, by hiring Antonio Conte, one of the best managers in the world, that is a promise. By spending a billion pounds in a stadium, the sole purpose of that stadium is to create more revenue. That's why Spurs are having 
Beyonce concerts there in the summer. It's why they're building an F1 go-karting track underneath the stadium, weirdly. I read about that this morning. That's it's to generate, mo- generate more <laughs> revenue for the club so that they can compete at the top level. But it's a little bit like the, the Bluth model homes. And Joe, I know that you will now get that reference. Yes. But from the outside, everything looks great. But you walk into the house, there's no furniture and the floor collapses. Like that is essentially Spurs as a, as a team right now. And that's why I think fans are rightfully and within their rights to be upset with the direction of the way they're going. They're solid as a rock, as they said in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so what, what, we've, what we've been playing, Graham, from the last few minutes of discussion here is well, we're kind of suggesting that Conte has been set up for failure. Whereas the narrative mm. going into this season was this is Conte's second season at Tottenham. He has all yep. the ingredients. He's got Kane and Son up top. He's got two of the most productive forwards in the league. He has the ingredients to succeed. So I- I'm a little baffled by the change in narrative, which from, from from where I'm sitting has come from Conte not doing his job quite as he should. Is that fair? There are certainly two sides to this argument and this discussion. So from the Spurs side of things, they hired Antonio Conte because at his last two clubs at Chelsea and Inter Milan, he'd been able to bend the players to his will and get more out of the players than maybe he, he should have been able to. And at Spurs, I think it's quite clear that he has not been able to do that. I think that's where a lot of the frustration from him comes from. James Horncastle was saying, I was, I was listening to him on a podcast, he was saying that really since his first top flight job at Atalanta, this hasn't been an experience that Antonio Conte has had. And when you consider that even when he's been winning at Chelsea and Inter, he has had moments like this, that maybe, uh, you know, gives us a little bit more of an idea as to why he's reacted in this way. Um, from Conte's point of view, he he always that this was always going to happen at some point. As I say, he's done this at every club that he's been at. Spurs basically made the bet that he'd he'd be successful before that happened, and that hasn't happened. And I don't actually have all that much sympathy for Antonio Conte because he knew what he signed up for. He knew the job at hand here. He turned this job down initially in this yep. in the summer because he had misgivings about it. He he then kind of got talked into it by Paratici, who obviously worked with at Juventus, and it's never really felt like he has fully bought into the into the project. As a as a uh, Joe, you've kind of referenced Tottenham don't have the budget of Manchester City or even Manchester United. So he was always going to have to maximise. He was always going to have to find new solutions. And he just hasn't demonstrated a willingness to find those new solutions at any point. So it just feels like Spurs, in a sense, uh, got what they got what they paid for. This is Antonio Conte. This is what Antonio Conte does, and and Antonio Conte also got what he signed up for. This is what Spurs are. This is what Spurs are as a club. So it kind of just feels like it's run its natural course, even though it has been disappointing. Oh dear. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, maybe we'll look a bit more about uh, at Conte's situation and what's gone wrong in the past few years under the last few managers too. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our big thing. Uh, a little bit more context, of course, around Conte's season. He's had some personal issues he's been dealing with. And, of course, um, he had some surgery in the last few months as well. So not the ideal situation for him. Yeah. And, Graham, just, we must Just also- to jump in there, Ryan, sorry. I think that the, the loss of his assistant, Jim Piero Ventroni, was particularly difficult for him, had been in, with him throughout his career. So he, he also lost a close pal, Gianluca Vialli, of, of course, um, as well. But I think Ventroni hit him particularly hard. So that is some context as to um, why he doesn't seem to be you know, enjoying himself much right now. There are mm-hmm. good reasons as to why that is the case. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, Taylor, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I think this is where I would, I would agree with Joe, that I don't think Tottenham have had necessarily a bad season. We will see how it ends up, and then it may end up being a very bad season. But where they are in the table, I think, is, is not necessarily impressive because they have spent money, and that is a valid criticism of Antonio Conte. It's not as though they have spent zero money like they did for, what, a year and a half under Pochettino. Uh, he has gotten players in. Maybe it's not the like the profile of player he wants. Maybe it's not the number of players he wants. But I think when you have a maybe already negative situation and then the knock on Antonio Conte is he is very risk-averse. He does not want his teams to make mistakes. So they are going to play defensive and cautious and try to hit teams uh, in transition or score off of set pieces. And that's what they have done. But that means winning games by one goal or scoring a goal off of a set piece and winning one nil. And there isn't that level of attacking verve or pressing energy that we had under Mauricio Pochettino and that I think other clubs are moving towards many other Premier League clubs are moving towards. So there's a feeling to my understanding that Tottenham are moving in a different direction, not necessarily the ideal direction. And even if they were moving in an interesting direction because they're doing something that other teams aren't, they're not even doing it particularly well enough to justify sort of going against the trend. And so it leads to a situation where if you're living and dying by efficiency and not making mistakes and you concede three goals against Southampton, all of which are preventable and just come down to individual errors and players switching off, you start to see how there are cracks across the board in what Tottenham are trying to do. Yeah, and this is where I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because I said Spurs have got what they paid for in Conte. I kind of meant that in terms of his character and what he's Mm -hmm. like in press conferences. In terms of the team on the pitch, that has been one of the most confusing things is this does not look like an Antonio Conte team right now. If you go through the key areas that have... Conte has always looked to as as uh, you know a key part of of his teams. The, the wing back positions has been a problem the last two seasons for Spurs. They've signed players to come in: Pedro Porro, Emerson Royale. Conte hasn't been able to to find anyone that he can work with in that area. The central midfield is particularly confusing for me at Tottenham because Inter he used this uh, he used this this three in the centre of midfield. And at Spurs, he's he's used a double pivot, and there's no player like Nicolo Barella who was just very, so very important to everything that Inter did under Conte in terms of how he would conduct them in quick transition. Spurs don't have that player, and you could say, okay, well, not every club has a player like Nicolo Barella, but. Conte hasn't been able to find anyone who can perform that role even a little bit at Spurs. He's been there for two or, or you know a season and a half now, and and all in uh, totality. How are Ben Davis and Eric Dyer still playing in an Antonio Conte defence? How has that been allowed to happen? I can't understand how they are still in that team. So 
yes, Spurs, in terms of the character, can't really be surprised with how Conte has blown up, but they probably do have some grievances, especially because they have spent money. They've spent, mm. what is it, £150 million, £200 million on new players, and Conte hasn't really been able to forge that into a workable team. Yeah, there was that athletic piece uh, where they where they went through like the big six and and graded their transfers. I believe Tottenham had the worst uh, when that article was written of all the signings. I think they had Richarlison and Christian Romero as hits. They had uh, Yves Basuma as jury out, and then for misses, uh, Tanguy and Dombele, uh, yeah. Lo Celso, Reguilon, Bergvain, uh, Emerson Royale, Ryan Sessegnon, and Brian Heal, to name just a few. So it does seem like there's lots of misses, and then you look at the areas that they are trying to strengthen. It doesn't really, to your point, Graham, bring that Barella player in. It doesn't give you that creativity and uh, sort of like box-to-box play that you might need from a dynamic midfielder to make that system happen. It's it's sort of high-profile attackers, some of whom have hit, some of whom have not. It's defenders, some of whom have hit, some of whom have not. And then it's a midfield that is very workmanlike, but isn't going to add that next level that you need to be able to challenge for a title. And Daniel Levy gets a lot of flack from Tottenham fans, and I think a lot of it is justified. He had a quote sort of about their spending, though, and their some of their misses that I think is pretty much spot on. So he said recently, I think this was back in February, he said, our spend level show we've invested in the team. Then he went on later and said, we have felt and continue to feel the financial impact of supporting player purchases, which have not worked out as planned. We have taken steps to improve this area of operations, and we believe this recent transfer window reflects that. Okay, so I guess the last bit is still (laughs) jury's out on that front. But I think he's right about a lot of that stuff. Like they are spending money. Absolutely, they're spending money, not to the level of the other teams that are almost consistently in the, the big six conversation to the point where I'm not even sure like how good of a, a descriptor big six is at this point. It feels to me like there's more stratification in there than we than we give it credit yeah. for. But I will say, like he's right. You know, they're spending money, and so there is room for this team to improve. Like if you nail your signings and spend two hundred million dollars a year on you know, transfer fees and you spend a hundred million on wages, like you're going to be better. You're going to do, that's the stupidest thing to say, but it's true. Like you get your signings right. You're going to be better. The challenge is it's so hard to get it right. And Tottenham really haven't done a very good job of that. Peratici's arrival at Spurs back in, in June of 2021, like hasn't really ushered in as, as Manning direct, managing director yeah. of football, which was his title then. Uh, like it hasn't, it doesn't seem like he's done a very good job, right? He's yeah, still... It's, it's almost, Joe, like he had some sort of like way of getting around regulations in his past club <sighs> that allowed him to have this unparall- like unparalleled success. And now that yeah. he doesn't have those avenues, it's not working out as well. I don't know what could possibly be the root cause of that. I don't... I don't either. I really don't. I, I got I got nothing on that front. If listeners understand, like, please let me know. I'm I'm in I'm in the dark on this. But yeah, like the signings are missing, and so uh, some of the frustration around Tottenham is is absolutely justifiable. It seems like there's so many aspects of this club from how they've gone about. I mean, uh, uh, managing transitions from one era to the next. It's been it's been awful, right? Going from Pochettino to Mourinho in in 24 hours makes no sense at all. Like like there is no. Line, uh, there's no thread through identity that those that. two share. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You crash out in the Champions League, you get embarrassed by Bayern Munich. I understand it's human to have a reaction to that. Like I, I get it to react so strongly that you swing all the way to the other end of the spectrum to hire Mourinho. Then you hire Nuno, who was underqualified, and, and that never made any sense. Then you hire Conte. Okay, there's a little bit of a larger thread from from Mourinho to Nuno to Conte. More pragmatic managers, more risk averse managers. I get it. Like, if you want to have that be your identity, have it be your identity. Sign players that fit within that structure. And that's, that hasn't really happened. So, so many 
so many frustrations about this club, so much wasted potential, like I said earlier. I still yeah. think, realistically, like their ceiling is third in the Premier League. Their ceiling is third. And so for them to be fourth right now, like the, the sky isn't falling. It's just not, in my view at least. I understand fans feel differently, but the expectation is, is pretty clearly capped yeah. when you don't spend as much as the big teams, when the, the entire landscape of the Premier League has changed from when Conte was a title winner at Chelsea. Things are, things are totally different now than they were then. Like The context is, is different, and so there's so many issues with this team. I think expectations is one of them, but transfers and how the club has run, all those things factor in in a major way. Yeah, Joe, that, that period that you talk about in 2019 from Pochettino to Mourinho, I still think <laughs> is very, it's very relevant to Agreed. what yeah. is happening Agreed. today. And I, and I think at, at the root of the issues that Spurs have, have had over the last three, three years is a misunderstanding of where the team was in 2018. So that was the, the year that Spurs reached their first ever Champions League final. They had challenged for a Premier League title a couple times. They had this new stadium built and, and Levy and the decision makers at, at, at Tottenham clearly felt that the next step would just happen with that same squad. They went three windows without signing a single player. Pochettino, meanwhile, is growing increasingly frustrated. And if you read between the lines of his public comments from that time he was telling Levy that this is the end of a cycle Levy is thinking this is the precursor to even bigger things and Pochettino saying no this is the peak of this team we need to rebuild this team obviously then Poch is sacked and the appointment of Mourinho is just complete vanity from Levy who it's now been established with some of the reporting that he just had this complete obsession with Mourinho. He saw Mourinho as a status symbol. So for Mourinho for a long time, the context here, he, you know, he was a dominant force in English football. All of English football was obsessed with Jose Mourinho, not just as a manager, but as a character, a personality. And I can imagine Levy looked at Chelsea with envy when Mourinho was their manager and Spurs had guys like, with all due respect, Martin Yall and Tim Sherwood. These guys are just not on the same level. So when Levy could get Mourinho, it was an opportunity for him to say, look how big we are. We can get Mourinho and that proves that we're now among the European elite and of course the Mourinho Spurs got was very different to the Mourinho that Chelsea had and everyone knew that and I suspect Levy knew it as well but he just didn't care it was a complete vanity appointment and I I still think to this day that Tottenham are paying for that decision I think I, I agree I think there are there's a big decision that is maybe a mistake in in hiring uh Jose Mourinho and then I think there's another larger mistake after that i'll talk about that one in a second to your point graham about Mourinho and levy like watching the all or nothing documentary so many seems feel like they should be capped by levy like leaning into jose's office knocking on the door and just saying like you like me right like we're friends you you we're friends right do you need more money like it's 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 very clear that he wanted jose Mourinho because of that status because automatically you're in the conversation of chelsea real madrid inter milan manchester united disregarding that things went south for Jose Mourinho at both of those clubs. And if you want, like, you can look at those situations as well in Jose Mourinho's tenure as a whole and see those clubs were dysfunctional, Chelsea and Manchester United at the time. Uh, But then also Mourinho brings his own level of dysfunction that you have to learn how to navigate. And I think he came into Tottenham and had a different squad, but so much of the, the talking point in All or Nothing is about he's trying to get a winner's mentality out of them and it doesn't seem to be there. And he intensifies training and he wants them flying into challenges and then people get hurt and then people get frustrated. 
period. But I think from the jump, there was a feeling that this isn't a team that expects to win. And Joe, I think this goes back to what you're saying, because I think you're right. Like fourth place, being in the Champions League, like going deep into some cup competitions, it's not a disaster. It's not Chelsea under Graham Potter, where it's like nothing is working. This could go very poorly. Or Chelsea under Mourinho when they're 13th and he gets sacked. It just seems to be a feeling of inevitability that it will fall apart and it's not going to work. And one of the things that I saw repeatedly mentioned was that the locker room under Mourinho became very reactive and it was very, what are the opponents going to do? And the narrative became, what are we going to do wrong? What mistake are we going to make next game? And what's going to cost us next time? We don't know. We got to try to figure it out. And it became so much about what are we going to do wrong that it becomes we're doing stuff wrong. And so... I think there's a world in which, to go to Graham's point, you move from Pochettino to Mourinho, and that is a sign of, look, we aren't going to go with Pochettino anymore, and we don't want to go with that philosophy. We're changing the philosophy of the club. We can't keep going with this high-intensity pressing. People are burnt out. I disagree with that decision, but they made it, so there we go. But I think then you're getting in Jose Mourinho, a manager who will play younger players if they fit and if they don't he will expect you to go out and sign more young players who might fit or he expects you to sign the proven entity that can do exactly what he wants to get the best out of his system and I think they don't end up doing that they don't get the best out of it it does not go well and this is where I think they had the opportunity to correct the mistake after Jose Mourinho walks away and there's this extended coaching search I think they could have gone with somebody who reflected more of Pochettino's ideals well they wanted Pochettino back they went Went to PSG. Do you not remember that whole episode and tried to get Pochettino back? They went, ah, we can't get Pochettino. Okay, let's have Nuno. That because that's a similar thread exactly. to pull on there. And I think that's where Daniel Levy could have said, you know what? I made a mistake here. And I think that is a huge part of this for me is I feel like mistakes have been made. And rather than own that those mistakes are made, we very quickly try to sweep them under the rug and keep moving. And if Daniel Levy said, you know what? That pivot in direction, it's not where we want to be. We wanted to see what it was like. It hasn't worked for us. We're going back to that. So fine. Pochettino's not there. They have also then spun that narrative as like, actually, we weren't interested. It wasn't the right time for Poch. But they could have gone for another pressing coach. They could have gone for somebody more dynamic. And I look at their pursuit of, I believe, at least eight different managers public. Paulo Fonseca, they've agreed to a deal and then they walk away because uh, he doesn't have that much of a profile. We don't really know. Gattuso's available. That is the most insane one for me that they jump away from a manager because he doesn't have the hype. It just feels like they keep jumping from manager to manager thinking that will solve it. And there isn't a cohesive strategy in place for how we want this club to play, how we want this club to look, the type of player we want to bring in. And when you have none of that, you end up with just sort of this this murky swamp of players and coaches that don't quite fit, but they're all there. Yeah, and I think that is important for Spurs fans as well, that identity of the team, because for me, going back to the early 2000s and even going further back, Spurs were always an entertaining team to watch. Players like David Ginola and even Berbatov, players like that, very entertaining. And so I think Spurs, that has bubbled to the surface this season, not just frustration with, I mean, I personally think, I'm going off on a bit on a tangent here, but I think a large part of the context is Spurs look at other teams like Newcastle and Arsenal. That That is a key part of the context this season is Arsenal, who have fallen away from the top, have spent similar money to Spurs over the last five years. I think there's a difference of about 80 million. And if you take out one of those years, it's almost exactly the same Spurs and Arsenal have spent. Arsenal were at the top, fell away, were apparently at the same level as, as Spurs, and have now gone back to the top in the time that Spurs have basically stood still. Newcastle got bought 18 months ago, have spent £200 million, and now all of a sudden are apparently next season going to be title challengers. Spurs fans, I think, are entitled to, to think, well, how come these other teams 
are able to do it. Swansea City, Birmingham City, Wigan Athletic have all won. And look, I know there's an element of luck and you can't really predict major cup competitions, but we're talking about a period of, how long is it since 2008? My maths is letting me down there, but what is it, 15 years? We're talking about a period of 15 years that Spurs haven't won a competition while those clubs have. Why aren't Spurs able to do the same thing that other clubs are able to do? So I think there's the context of what rivals are doing. I think there's the context of how this team is playing and how Spurs traditionally play, and that just adds into the frustration. Uh, someone's forgetting about the famous Audi Cup win of 2019. Of course. Graham, but, um, Criminal. So, so Criminal, we've, we've identified sort of the journey from that, 29, uh, that Champions League final to now and some of the lack of cohesion at an executive level, some of the transfer decisions, those windows where they didn't take the opportunity to move on from the cycle we've mentioned here. But Graham, can we dig into... I want to go back to that word spursiness and this perceived weakness that seems to follow Tottenham because I, I, I want to know if it's if there's something in it. Like when you when you think of Roy Keane and he told the story about Sir Alex Ferguson coming into a dressing room saying, lads, it's Tottenham. And that was the team talk because, you know, it's Tottenham. We can we can do these. That that period of Tottenham has no relation to these players. None of the staff are the same. None of the players are the same. Do we buy that there's a thread that runs through this club of a culture? that has led them to this point? Not not over, for me anyway, not over two decades or three decades or whatever, just because it's pretty much a different club now, isn't it? I mean, they play in a different stadium, different mm. people in charge, different players, different managers, so on. And I guess in certain scenarios, like with PSG, where over a period of five, six years, you do have the continuity of players in place, you do have the continuity of the people who own the club, then you can kind of uh, there can be a a kind of negative culture that a mentality a negative mentality that can build up but I don't really buy that there's something inherent something spiritual holding Spurs back from being successful Conte was saying that in the in the press Mm -hmm. conference it's in the history of the club so he was inferring that it's a thing right how long is he what period what time frame is he talking about though is he talking about the last few years or is he talking about 20 years or so um i guess you don't have the answer to that have you messaged him uh today no Not today no you don't know everyone in italy um yeah so i i would need a little bit more context and, and background and what he means by that comment i think to some extent whenever your it seems like your stated objective is we're going to be one of the biggest clubs in the world we're going to be one of the best you are automatically sort of putting yourself in a position where I don't know how to explain it other than just that like you kind of take yourself out of the driver's seat a little bit and it requires other people to give you that recognition. And so in some ways it feels like there is always this like, right, we're really good, right, guys? Like, look what look what we did in the Champions League. We're really good now. And I think about the time that that was like least the narrative in my mind and when Tottenham just seemed like this frightening team to play that could put you to the sword and it's Pochettino and it's when they're just about their business of pressing and working hard and I don't remember those conversations as like have they finally shaken off being Spursy are we gonna have St. Totteringham's Day maybe we ha- maybe we did have that but I don't remember that nearly as much as I just remember Tottenham are scary to play and I think so often that isn't the narrative with them and and his second reference of the episode Bill Simmons would talk about uh, when the Red Sox were still the cursed Red Sox and how as soon as something started to go wrong if there was a player who ran into a cold st- streak or uh, uh, the opposition would get like a home run when they didn't see seemed like it was coming that the energy just drained from Fenway and it was this feeling of like here we go again it's going to be bad and when you have the entire stadium nervous and everybody sort of you can feel that it is palpable and I do think there is something to be said for if you are used to the team letting you down and not 
achieving those heights, it can bleed into the fan identity. It can bleed into the way the team is discussed. I do think it is very much a media thing that infiltrates the club. But lest we forget, when we talk about Tottenham and the heights they achieved and how good they were, we are still talking about a team that was runner-up and runner-up. And it's it's not as though they won a bunch of silverware and then they've had a downturn. It, so even there, I think there's, it's sort of telling a tale unto itself that we're still talking about a team that came close and that was the pinnacle of the achievement. It, it's difficult, though, for me to... Talk about Tottenham being Spursy when even when they're good, it's overachievement. So for PSG, it's easy because they have the best team and they're spending the most money and they are expected to win. So when we're talking about Tottenham finishing runner up in the Champions League or runner up in the Premier League, relatively speaking, to me, that is still an achievement rather than them whiffing on winning something, which is the case with PSG. And just to go back to Ryan, your, your point about who was it? Roy Keane saying, "Lads, it's lads, it's Tottenham." Or well, Fer- Ferguson, Fer- or, Fer- yeah. Fergie's dressing room talk, right? Which yeah, I believe all- was reported in Roy Keane's book. Yeah. Also, at that time, Manchester United were the dominant force in English football, and Spurs were a mid-table team. Hmm. That to me feels like more of a factor in why my United were able to come back in so many games against Tottenham hmm. than some sort of spiritual spiritual factor. So yeah, I I. I Look, I use it as a joke. I laugh whenever we use it on the show or whatever. But if I actually were to was to drill down into whether I think it's a thing, I'm really not so sure. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's take a look to the future. Where does Tottenham go next? Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Big Thing discussion. Joe, let's talk about where Tottenham should go next. We're presuming, uh, as, as we record, Antonio Conte is still the coach, but it doesn't look like he is long for North London. I, I kind of... If, if I was a prospective coach, Joe, for Tottenham, I'd be looking at what Conte is saying now, and I'd be saying to uh, Daniel Levy, so is this, like, what am I getting myself in for? Because he's <laughs> saying there's a lot of issues here. Why would I want to take this on right now? It, it seems like Conte has made the job a lot harder for Tottenham with this with this exit strategy. In some ways I think absolutely it's it's revealing of the mismanagement of the club as a whole, right? That this stuff is even being allowed to happen. I I don't know how attractive this job is relative to other jobs in the highest levels of the game. It is still a massive job, right? It is still a massive job, one that it seems like Pochettino just can't quite shake. Like maybe he just love. I don't. I don't. I don't fully know what it is. I don't know Pochettino, but it seems like you know there's there will always be this tie between the club and Pochettino, and that's probably the direction that I would choose to go if he's available. It kind of feels to me, guys, like a win-win, right? It, it feels like a no-brainer because if it works and you make progress, 
And Pochettino is a piece, and he'll only ever be a piece, but he could be a piece of them becoming a truly elite Premier League team, which will take a lot of other things that maybe we'll talk about before we wrap. You know, everything is great, right? If that happens, everything is great. Relationships are mended. Fans are happy. Players are happy. Poch is happy. The club ownership is happy. Everybody's happy. If it doesn't work, you're really not any worse off than you are now. And at least you appeased fans partially, not not fully, but partially along the way, because you brought back the manners that they actually like. Uh, it, and then there's the fact that Pochettino had more success in all of this than, than Mourinho or Conte. And I think you can define success there in a number of different ways. For me, though, like a manager's not going to solve this. Like, and that, that's kind of what I was trying to get at, at the beginning, right? Like, there, there are deeper issues with this club that need to be addressed. Managers, I think, can be important. The best ones in the world can add a, a nice little chunk onto your chances of winning and can make you a better team. But, you know, it, it's not going to solve it. You look at Tottenham's squad. It's not a very good squad compared to some of the other teams in, in Europe right now. Young Minson was given a, a, a nice contract. He's got six goals this year. He's 30 years old. Probably should have seen a regression coming from him. I think it, it was clear, and I, I probably should have seen it back at the start of the Premier League season, but I got, I got wrapped up in the hype and predicted him third, right? Not first, but third. No, you should have been able to see some of this stuff coming. You look at the midfield depth, the center back. It's just not, it's not at an elite Premier League level. So for me, if you want to improve Tottenham in a meaningful way, if fans want change, it should be hoping that if Pochettino comes in, he's a capable talent identifier because it seems like that's going to be a, a, a prerequisite for him to take this job is to have that control. Paratici probably going to go away if that happens. Like somebody needs to come in and start hitting better, like, like having a better hit rate on some of these signings because that for me, if you want to try to outkick your coverage, which is what Tottenham need to do if they really want to challenge for trophies, and I talked about the financial reasons as to why, like if you want to, if you want to extend over what the reasonable expectations are, you got to start nailing signings at a better rate than everybody else. And so that's where I would start here rather than the manager side, which I think is important, but not not nearly as important as that other factor in this case. Yeah. Joe, I, I generally agree with you um, that there needs to be deeper, more meaningful change at Spurs for them to take genuine strides forward. But I remember saying similar things about Manchester United last season. And then they hired a guy called Eric Ten Hag and they seem to be in much better shape this season. And so I look at cases like that and think... Maybe sometimes I do underestimate how much of a difference the right managerial appointment can Spurs make. Spurs tried. So, they did try to get Ten Hag. He said no thanks. They did, yeah. And also, I remember a lot when Spurs hired uh, Antonio Conte, I remember uh, remember a lot of stuff on Twitter about Manchester United should have got Antonio Conte. And I bet Manchester, some people at Manchester United are feeling a little bit smug about how that has panned out. So, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Taylor is one of them. He's waving right now. Um, <laughs> Joe, I completely understand what you're saying, but I just think the, the quickest, the, the shortcut here to a better team to success is the right managerial appointment and I generally am not in favour of going backwards to go forward but Pochino feels like an exception in, in this case it was it was weird the way things ended for him um, they have backed managers in the time since he left and that was his main frustration at Spurs was he was not backed the fans like him he's more in line with the, the kind of traditional historic um, style of play and identity of Spurs as a club so I would get Pochettino back. I think it, I think it's a no-brainer, quite frankly, for Spurs this, this, this summer. I think he would take it as well. I think he would have left PSG when Spurs came a year and a half ago. It was just PSG kind of held him to his contract. So I expect to see him back this summer. One question. Do you all feel like, and, and I'm aware of my bias here, like for some reason I feel like the bloom is a little bit off the rose with Pochettino, that there have been opportunities for him. PSG doesn't work out. 
it feels like there have been moments when it seemed like he was going to go to Manchester United or he was going to go elsewhere. And then those clubs hire different managers. And like, there's a part of me that genuinely believes that maybe he is just hung up on Spurs and that's where he wants to be. And that's where he feels like he can have an impact. But I, I, I just, I, that's the only thing I wanted to say is I just feel like there is something in my mind that like pro- prohibits me from feeling like, yep, this is a slam dunk. It feels a little bit like he's going to go back to a situation that is more or less the exact same as it was and he's going to get this mishmash of players who don't quite fit what he wants. And then there's going to be a feeling of, well, we've already spent a bunch of money. We can spend a little bit more. I just don't know how things are different, except that he might yeah. be less confident than he was when he was there previously. Well, we don't know whether what happened at PSG was a reflection of him or a, refl- mm-hmm. or a reflection Fair. of PSG. And obviously Thomas Tuchel comes out of PSG and then wins the Champions League with uh, Chelsea within six months. So there is precedent for managers recovering from PSG syndrome, as I like to call it. I think there's a good chance P- uh, Pochettino will will be one of them. P- PSG felt like a strange fit for him as, as much as Conte or Mourinho was a strange fit for, Ton- uh, for Tottenham. I think Pochettino was a strange fit for PSG. So I, I, I get what you're saying, Taylor. His stock has been higher but I still think he would be a good appointment. But is it not, like, like genuinely I'm asking, is it not confusing to you, though, that like you're talking about Thomas Tuchel, who replaced him at PSG and was sacked and then got a new gig and then won something while Pochettino has remained unemployed since then? I don't think he's had a lack of opportunities, so maybe maybe not the top-level opportunity that he wanted, but Athletic Athletic Club wanted to hire him, that he was part of like the presidential, one of the presidential candidates for, for them last mm. season was said he was going to hire Pochettino. I'm not entirely sure that he had uh, Pochettino's buy-in on that idea, <laughs> but there have been opportunities. Real Madrid is the one that continues to float around. Florentino Perez has, has always kind of liked Pochettino. I thought that was ine- inevitable at, at one point, that Pochettino would be Real Madrid yeah, manager at yeah. some point. Um, so I guess he could still kind of land a job like that. I thought Chelsea, to be honest, if Potter... If, if Potter was to get sacked, which it feels like maybe he's out of trouble right now, I thought Pochettino would be a, kin- a candidate for that job. So I, I still believe he has had opportunities. And you're right, Taylor, maybe he just wants to go back to his his comfort zone. I believe he still lives in London. His family still lives in still lives in London. He clearly has an affection for Tottenham. Even when he left Tottenham and he got sacked, he, he said something to the effect of, I'll be back. This is not the last time that I'll be at this club. So, at, at this club. so there are managers who just have a certain affection for certain clubs and Pochettino and Spurs might be one of those relationships. So, all right, Taylor, if not Poch, if, if we're reading the tea leaves wrong and maybe he doesn't want to come back, what's plan B? Um, okay. This is my honest answer. It's just a little bit confusing. I think it's for the majority of people to know who owns Tottenham. Do you feel like most people know who the owner of Tottenham Football Club is? Nope. I feel like the silence, I feel like the silence (laughs) is my answer. Because I think people point to Daniel Levy as being like, oh, he's the owner. He's the one who makes the decisions. He's He's not the owner. He's the chairman. Joe Joe Lewis, Lewis, who, as far as I know, has a net worth of $5 billion, is the owner of of Tottenham. And that right there feels like a little bit of the problem. That a man, like the narrative is always Tottenham don't have money. They absolutely have money, or Joe Lewis does at least. It just seems like they can get away with being the London club that doesn't have the money. And, I think some of that has to go away. And instead of Tottenham being seen as a club who were very frugal in the way they spend, that was always the knock on Daniel Levy and negotiations that if you wanted Luka Modric for 35 million and he wanted 40 million, he wouldn't agree until he got 40. And so clubs would move on. 
I don't know if that identity helps them. And so I, I think in some ways they feel like a team that is sort of hampered by their own branding in certain ways. And I think for them to be a team that freely spends, if Pochettino comes in, I think he might be the answer. But I think backing him with an insane <laughs> spend is probably the way to show that things are going to be different. And yep. giving him control over the academy or letting him hire the person who's your academy director establishes continuity because his style, the pressing style, we have seen this, it's intense and it burns people out. And I think you can, when that happens, he'll burn people out again if he comes back. When that happens, you can abandon ship and bring in Mourinho as they did, or you can bring in somebody with similar but slightly different ideas to kind of keep it going but not fully change the course and then you have consistency from one season to the next even if the manager changes and that's a thing that i think has been extremely lacking lacking with tottenham's approach uh just just for clarification i did mention on the top that joe lewis and daniel levy are the owners which is strictly mm-hmm. true because their it is, it is called enic yeah and that is the company that owns 85 percent of tottenham right uh lewis is the majority he is 70 30 between them so they are both technically owners but you're quite right taylor in that but, they, they they got the money but the thing is taylor you said how much was joe lewis worth five five billion yeah in Premier League terms, that is nothing now. I mean, the, the Saudi Sovereign Wealth nothing. Fund... Yeah, if you want to be at that level, yeah. If you, you want to win the Premier League and be a dominant force, that right. is nothing now. Yes. That, and, and that is back to Joe's point, where <laughs> Tottenham just <laughs> yes. don't have the resources to be the club that they want to be, Nor right? Joe, that's the point you're making. Arsenal. So, right, right. And, and so, Taylor, I, that is a fantastic that's a fair point. point. I love that point. That's so good. Because Arsenal, you look at the spending... Like on wages, on transfers, they're not at the Chelsea, Man City level, right? They're, they're absolutely not. But the question for Arsenal, and, and we don't know enough about this yet, but is it sustainable? Like, are they able to come in and do this again? Because, Graham, you talked about earlier, you know, different smaller clubs in England winning cup competitions. A lot of it, and there's so many other factors here, but a lot of it is, is kind of fluky, right? It's not sustainable. There's a reason why we saw Leicester win the title once and not do it again, right? And Leicester now are not very good. And that was an amazing story. But the reality is, because they won a title once, it doesn't make them a big club. Arsenal are a massive club. That's not what I'm trying to say here. Please, Arsenal no, fans, I mean, don't, they don't get angry at me. To your point, Joe. Right. No, I, but like, I'll back they you haven't up on won that the title. Yeah. They're they're they are they're operating in the margins right now, and they're doing a fantastic job of it. They have an identity as a club. They have a transfer strategy. They're finding good players for for probably less than. You know, maybe they would have before, less than other clubs are spending. Like you can see that maybe most clearly in the whole Mudrick saga, really, where Mudrick's literally uh, trying to trying to get him get his way to Arsenal through Instagram, and that doesn't end up happening because Chelsea are, are willing to spend more. Arsenal are operating in the margins, and they're doing it very well. What Tottenham need to do if they want to be more than they are now is they need to have that kind of hit rate. Like, they need to be finding yeah. the types of players that Arsenal are doing. And it's so hard. Like, we don't even know if Arsenal, who are probably doing it better right now than anybody in the Premier League, who could conceivably challenge for titles with, with the levels to the, the, you know, the teams in the league. You know, Arsenal are doing, it, are doing it really, really well. And we don't even know if they're doing it good enough to consistently challenge the oil states. Like, I, I would be very surprised if Arsenal win another title, if they win this year. I, I would be surprised if they win another one in the next five years. Right? That, that's just where we are in the Premier League right now. So for Tottenham, and this is kind of what I led with, and this is truly what I believe, it's mm. unless they start spending more, and ideally spending more efficiently, but spending more would be a great place to start, unless they start spending at the level of the other teams in the Premier League, it's going to be really, 
really hard to win trophies. Now, the other thing that goes along with that, and I'll, I'll let you go in just a second here, Graham, is like having an identity. And that's the other thing that, that really doesn't make sense to me about this club. I think they would be more efficient. I think they would have a higher hit rate. I still don't think they would be a title challenger year after year after year, but they could make a run, right? I think they increase their ability to challenge the big boys, which Tottenham really aren't right now based off of what, what they've shown. Like they, they increase their chances of challenging the big boys if they don't go so drastically whiplash style from one end of the spectrum to the other. From Pochettino who wants to press and control and take risks and find players that fit that style to Mourinho, who doesn't really want to do any of that stuff. To Nuno, to Conte. Like, it's so jarring, I imagine, if you're a Tottenham fan, to go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Not, not even necessarily because of what you're watching on TV, but because of how you go out and, and try to recruit players. The style and what you need to go back and forth from those is, is very, very different. So if Tottenham starts spending more, if they have some actual continuity and develop an identity, they're going to be a better club. And they're actually going to challenge for, for titles and for wins and trophies and do the important stuff. Until that happens, though... I have a hard time imagining them really breaking out of third or fourth or fifth or sixth at a consistent level over the next decade or so. We've spoken about this for 45 minutes now, and I think that exchange that we just had there where, Joe, your point was Spurs don't really have the resources to be a dominant force, and then Taylor pointing out Arsenal or you could add Liverpool into the discussion. That is a microcosm of the entire internal debate that Spurs are having as a club and their fans are having having amongst themselves right now, where there are protests against the the the, the owners against uh, ENIC Group. Is it do you, yep. is it an acronym yep. or do you is it Enic Group? Anyway, doesn't matter. The owners of Spurs are being protested against because they don't have the resources because they're not willing to spend the money of City and and Manchester United. But then you look along the road to the Emirates Stadium and just Arsenal are yep. be, Arsenal are doing a better job of being Tottenham Hotspur than Tottenham Hotspur 100%. are right now. And that is what it boils down to. And, and the ultimate question, to, to trace that third one step further, and this is kind of restating something I said, but the question really that I think colors how any individual person looks at this is whether you think what Arsenal are doing is sustainable, is whether you think what Liverpool are doing is sustainable. I fall very firmly in the camp that the answer is no. We're already seeing it with Liverpool, where they had their, they had their era, and it, it feels like the shine has worn off, and it feels like the squad is aged out, and they don't have the resources, and it's extremely unlikely that they'll hit on as many signings and get as many things right in the next five years as they did in the last five. Like We're already seeing the evidence yeah. with Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I would imagine we'll see something similar with Arsenal, but we don't, we don't really know. If you're a person who believes... Like, no, you just got to, like, really try and have the winning mentality and, and really operate in the margins, and you can do that consistently. Yeah, like, Tottenham, this, this project is a massive failure because they're, they're not at the level of those other clubs. But for me, I think it's, it's just difficult, and you're setting yourself up for failure if your expectations are unrealistic in the first place. Looking at Liverpool for a moment, because I, I hear you, Joe, and I agree with everything you've said. I think Liverpool, there's not a butt coming, I promise. Liverpool at this stage are sort of in a, they need, they were Tottenham more after not winning the Champions League and they need to refresh. They need new faces. They need to keep the kind of, uh, like if you bring in new blood who are going to be competitive, super intense training because you want to keep your place and maybe you're just getting new faces in who are good personalities. It keeps things fresh. I think Liverpool could still very much be there. I think FSG have decided, do we want to spend all that money or do we want to try to sell the club and then let somebody else handle it? And I think because of that inaction or that indecision, they haven't really been able to kick on. I think Spurs 
keeping the same ownership group but spending more money and deciding we're going to kind of back a model, I do think they could have sustained success even if they aren't owned by an oil state. And I think one other key aspect of that, I haven't given Daniel Levy any credit or praise so far. I'm still loath to do so, but I will say – I do think that stadium will have a huge impact, and and we haven't really seen it yet, and I think that is his legacy. I think that is a thing that they probably decided when they decided to build a new stadium, it's going to be rough. We're not going to have the money that we want. We're going to have to kind of skirt by as best we can, but 20 years down the road, we will have a state-of-the-art facility that people will want to play in and we'll be able to spend more money. I think that's kind of consistent. Arsenal had to do the same thing in the final years of Wenger. Whatever you want to say about them, and we could have another whole episode about Wenger's final years, but also part of that is they're moving into a new stadium. They don't have a ton of money to spend. Real Madrid have kind of been that way as they renovate the Bernabeu, and I do think there is something to be said for any time a team is drastically renovating their home ground or moving to a new one that they're building. There are always going to be these huge disruptions, and then it's about how you weather those disruptions and move on from there. And I think Spurs are in that position where they have to decide how do they move on. I just don't really know how they're going to do it yet. Yeah, and that Arsenal comparison is good, Taylor, because, what was it, 2005 when the Emirates opened or around that time? And consistently in the following seasons, Arsene Wenger got that team in the top four. It was like his his trait, mm-hmm. and it kept happening. So they had the consistency of having Arsene Wenger as the controller of the club. And the That's they, it, yeah. They had the cohesion, which is what Tottenham have ultimately lacked but- at this stage. But I think Arsenal at that time did a better job of, whether they did it explicitly or not, of communicating that was the aim of the club at that mm-hmm. point. That was the, and obviously that creates its own frustration among Arsenal fans who at that time felt the club should be aiming higher. But Tottenham haven't done that at all. All the messages out of Tottenham are, here's our new flashy stadium and oh, we're going to be among the best teams in Europe. And right now that's just not feasible. Yeah, which is probably all the way, all the way to Joe's, one of Joe's points, which is that you then are trying to exist in two worlds because Arsenal maybe are more able to do that when you have Chelsea and Roman Abramovich and the oil money there, but you don't have oil money at Man City yet, I don't believe. You don't have oil money at Newcastle, certainly. And so I think it's it's not easier to do, but there is less immediate billions coming into the league that you have to combat, whereas now Spurs have to kind of do do the threadbare thing while simultaneously being billed as a big six club and trying to hire those giant managers to keep them at that level. It feels like they haven't really even made that decision of, look, guys, it's going to be a lean few years. If we make the top four, we're overachieving. But we promise 10 years down the road, we're going to be to it. I don't know if that would go well. I really don't. But I think there's something to be said for at least being direct and transparent in here's how things are going to be. I think people can like batting down the hatches for a struggle versus being told these are the golden years, but also we're struggling at the same time. So by the way, uh, Graham, ENIC, the holding company of Lewis and Levy, English National Investment <laughs> Company, which is terribly Brexit sounding. Uh, but, it's not but, a Nietzsche. Oh, yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> Uh, they throughout their years they've owned stakes in Rangers, Slavia Prague, AK Athens, Vicenza in Italy, and Basel, and a few others. But I suppose fundamentally we're building. We've been building to the question of what is Tottenham? What do they expect? From, what do fans expect from this team? I suppose my final question is, uh, Graham, I'll come to you. Is if to, to to be what Tottenham fans want this club to be, do they have to move on from the English National Investment Company it, to be? In the echelon they need to be in, is it the case that they need basically a state to buy them? Are they as far down the road as they can go with this structure? 
Oh, that is a bleak question. Po- possibly, <laughs> yes. As and Taylor's right, it is a bleak thought. But uh, that, yeah, I would say that of of pretty much any club right now, not owned by a sovereign wealth fund. I mean, David or- David Ornstein uh, of the Athletic this week had a, a story about Liverpool being priced out of the a, a move for Jude Bellingham because Manchester City and and, and Real Madrid are just willing and able to pay more money for for him than Liverpool. I mean, what does that say about the state of football right now that a club like Liverpool, one of the biggest clubs in the world, who have had success recently, are not able to compete with other clubs at the top of European soccer. So, yes, I do think this this ownership model maybe has run its course. If, If Spurs, if Tottenham want to be one of the best teams in Europe, they have tried to take shortcuts to the top by hiring Conte and Mourinho, but... The team in the pitch just hasn't been reflective of, of 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 that ambition. So yeah, I think new owners, if if that's what Spurs fans want, and that you know, I I personally as a as a fan of Sterling Albion, it's not all about winning because if it was, it would be a pretty bleak time for me as Sterling Albion manager, uh, Sterling Albion player uh, fan. Congrats over on the, the new years, Graham. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, Spurs fans want that. I think a new ownership group is probably required. All right. On that bombshell, let's uh, let's park this discussion here. This has been a fascinating conversation, Joe Lowry. Thank you very much for your contribs. Thank you, Ryan. I don't have time to say contributions in full. I just no, absolutely it. not. That's absolutely cool. not. Right, right. Taylor, thank you very much, sir. Any Spurs supporters still listening? I hope you took some ibuprofen or just had a drink to to maybe help you through <laughs> this episode. I'm not sure we ended on the most optimistic of notes, but maybe the most realistic. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, for guiding us through. Thank you, and thank you, Graham Rutherford, once again, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. If it's any consolation to Spurs fans, they have had some good kits recently. They have, and that's they have. all that really matters. Here's what I'll leave Spurs fans with. Uh, one of my favourite sayings. Everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Hey. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed Whoa. very shortly. <laughs> but for now, bye! Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.